Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to By the Verse. We are actually going to take a brief intermission from the book of Judges, and I'm going to insert a sermon I preached recently at our church on John chapter 13. On our next episode, we will get back to Judges, but I hope this blesses you. Thank you. Well, I need to give you a disclaimer. In just a moment, I am going to preach from the New Testament. However, if you decide you want to rush the stage to slap me today, I will go Old Testament on you. I'll take you to a few passages maybe you skipped. I'm just kidding. I would never hurt anybody. We have people for that. That was a Palm Sunday joke. Did you get it? Did you get it? Wow, we live in a crazy time, don't we? It's a wonderful time to be alive. You never know what's going to happen these days. I mean, it's just so much drama, so much suspense. So many things going on all the time. It's really hard to uh, keep up. And if the truth were told, it's kind of also hard to, to have the kind of heart response that we should have every time we hear of something happening in the world. I mean, there's always an earthquake. There's always a tornado. There's always a famine, a hurricane, a, a something going on, a war, a rumor of a war. And with the 24-hour news cycle, we are bombarded by images of people suffering in our country and all over the world. We've actually had to invent a new phrase to describe what it's like to be bombarded in this way. It's called compassion fatigue. You know, it's just, it's just hard to see people suffering all the time, every day, without any end. And it's like, man, it's just Tuesday. I'm saving my compassion to whatever's going to break out on Thursday or Friday. You just never know. So many shocking things happen. Things we should be appalled at. Things we should have this righteous indignation toward. Well, it happens so often, man, my shocker doesn't shock anymore like it used to. Like I just, I feel like I need a few years of rest so that I can get buzzed again, you know, with whatever is going on in the world. But that is what happens when things become normal. That is what happens when you are surrounded by these things. It's just the human condition that we get used to it. It just becomes normal to us. And the same is true spiritually. You know, Jesus and the disciples were together for three and a half years, and the disciples saw the Lord Jesus do some amazing things. I mean, they saw him perform all kinds of miracles and cast demons out and do incredible things, and they heard him say some incredible things. But it appears from the text that they were actually more shocked at certain things than other 
things. I mean, there came a time when Jesus literally told the wind and the waves to sit down and be quiet. And the disciple was like, who in the world is this in this boat? We need to hurry up and get to the other side. I don't know who this is. I don't know what's going on. That was shocking for them. There came a time when Jesus said it's easier for a rich man, for, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The Bible says the disciples were astonished at the saying. Because for them, being financially blessed means God's with you. God's blessing you. And if a rich person can't get into the kingdom of God, then how can anyone get into the kingdom of God? So they were astonished at the saying. But Jesus said shocking, astonishing things all the time. And it's apparent that they didn't always have that same response. Like when Jesus said, the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve. It's actually pretty shocking if you think about the statement too long. But there's no recording of the the disciples being shocked or amazed or astonished at that. Or pulling Jesus aside and saying, okay, we heard you say that, but what exactly did that mean? Because we're not tracking with you. Actually, it seems it just went over their heads because the son of man, the Messiah, when he comes, he's going to set up his kingdom on the earth and he's going to rule as king. And aren't we going to serve him? What does this mean that he didn't come for us to serve him, but that, that he's going to serve us? It's actually a shocking statement that didn't sink in. And Jesus has actually said this right before they enter into Jerusalem. So just before the triumphal entry and all of that stuff, Jesus says this to them. And he's actually said it a couple different times, a couple of different ways, but they didn't get it. And we know they didn't get it because when we find them in the upper room, Luke chapter 22 still tells us that they were still arguing about who was going to be the greatest among them. They just didn't get it. So Jesus has said it. He said it a couple of different ways. And now he's going to decide, I'm just going to show them. So they're gathered here in the upper room. And at this point, John in his gospel has spent 12 chapters telling us about the public ministry of Jesus and all that Jesus did. But John chapter 13 through 18 and a half, that's just one night. That's a huge chunk of the book just for one night. And Jesus kicked it off by doing something, well, nobody expected John chapter 13, starting at verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, And that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. 
Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Turn to your neighbor and say, do you want to be blessed? Well, wash my feet. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need you. Help us, O oh God, to have our hearts open, our ears open. I pray that we'll hear the Holy Spirit, that your word will fall on good ground, and that it will spring forth, Lord. Let it produce a harvest of righteousness in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So many times before, I've told you when you're reading a Bible passage, if the author repeats certain words or certain phrases, those are like flashing lights to you. He's saying, pay attention, pay attention, okay? So here in just the first three verses, John has told us that there are four things that Jesus knew. He doesn't start the story by telling us what Jesus did. He starts the story by telling us what Jesus knew. Because what you know will influence what you do. That's why Paul often in his letters, he will start out by telling you what you need to know before he gets to a, therefore, go and do this. It always starts here before it can come out here. And so there are four things that Jesus knew that motivated him to do what he was about to do in this moment. And the first verse tells us when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father. So the first thing was Jesus knew his time had come. In fact, this is a phrase that John uses six times in his book. It seems that John is concerned with the timing of things, okay? Jesus knew that his time had come. And all throughout the book of John, things are trying to happen before their proper appointed time. If you go all the way back to the wedding at Cana, they run out of wine. Jesus' mother comes to him and says, do something about it. Jesus says, this has nothing to do with me. Why? My time has not 
yet come. It wasn't time for Jesus to show what he could do. It wasn't time for Jesus to reveal the extent of his power. And so he understood it wasn't time for that. And when you read that story, it becomes really clear that only a few people in the story really knew what happened. Everybody didn't know. So Jesus turned the water into wine like his mother asked him to do, but it was kind of confidential among just a few people who knew what really happened that day. Had that been you or I, boy, we would have said, whoo, I've been waiting for this for 30 years. Here we go. All right, Mr. Wedding DJ, give me that microphone. Come on, y'all, bring in the jugs, bring in the jugs, get, get them full of water. All right, sir, taste what's in that jug. Is that water? Is that what? Yes, he's saying it's water, everybody. Did you hear that? He said it's water. All right, watch this. Ooh, as I wave my hands across these jugs. Why don't you get a taste, sir? Taste it. What? It's wine. Did y'all hear that? It's wine, everybody. Yeah. Send your donations to Jesus.org. See, we would have done that. Perfect opportunity to show off. Jesus said, I could, but it's not time yet. John chapter 7 and 8, we see that the people are, are trying to seize Jesus. There's a dispute over him in both those chapters. And each time they're trying to arrest him. And John includes the note. It wasn't his hour yet. They were trying to arrest him. And really, doesn't it seem like that would have been a great thing? I mean, we wouldn't have Easter if Jesus never got arrested. I mean, going to the cross, wasn't that the whole reason that Jesus was here? Why wait all the way to the end of the book? Let's just hop right in in John chapter 7. Let's just get this done. But Jesus knew that his time had not yet Come. I've mentioned the biography on David Wilkerson before. It was written by his son. And you know, David Wilkerson was a great evangelist. He was all over the place. Uh, but that meant that he wasn't home all the time. And so one Christmas, as the family is gathered together, he had gotten his son a special gift, and he wrapped it up in a nice little box. And when it came time for his son to open that gift, oh man, his son was so excited. David had gotten his son a car, and in the box was, were some car keys, because David Wilkerson was actually a car guy. He had an extensive car collection, so this was, this was a big deal, and his son was so excited. He said, thanks, Dad. I can't wait to drive this next year. See, David had been gone so long, he forgot how old his son was, and he had gotten him a car a year before he was legally able to drive it. It was the right gift, just not the right year. And sometimes our hearts pursue things that are good, they're just not the right time. See, in music, 
we have this thing called a time signature, and it tells you how many beats are in every measure so that all the musicians are tracking together. We know how many beats are in the right measure. And you can have a song that moves from one time signature to a different time signature. But if half the band plays one time signature and the other half of the band plays a different time signature, that's not music, that's noise. See, we all got to have the the timing here. Timing is important. When you're considering a career change, timing is important. When you're considering a relationship, timing is important. When you're spiritually hungry for promotion from God, timing is important. It could be that you are not ready. Or it could just be that the situation is not ready for you. Whatever the case may be, Jesus knew finally it's time. Things are in place. Jesus knew his time was short. If you knew your time was short, how would that change how you deal with people? What relationships you repair? How you pray? How you deal with your resources? So because Jesus knew his time was short, he had already loved these guys. So he was going to love them all the way through the very end. And chapter 13, verse 3 says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God, and was going back to God. This is three things that Jesus, three th- more things that Jesus knew. He knew what he had, he knew where he was from, and he knew where he was going. This is a statement on the identity of Christ. He knew who he was. He did not need you to tell him. Jesus knew that he was from God. He knew he was the real deal. He knew he wasn't faking it. He knew he wasn't putting on a good face. He knew that he was authentic. And that's why he didn't need anybody to pat him on the back when he healed somebody. Ooh, that was a good healing. Good job. Man, you're doing a great job. No, the only voice spoken over him that mattered was the one that came from heaven that said, that's my son. Listen to him. I'm well pleased with him. Because he knew where he came from. He came from God. When you know where you come from, it gives you confidence. Jesus came from God. And guess what, church? If you are a believer, so do you. You are not of this world. You're just in the world. You come from God. You are born of God. You are a child of God. You are a co-heir with Christ. He's taken you out of the kingdom of darkness and put you into the kingdom of light. That should give you confidence, friend. You're the real deal. You're authentic. You have an identity. And it is from God. In fact, Paul wrote a whole book about it called Ephesians because we need to know who we are, where we're from. People who are from a stable, healthy household tend to be more confident than people who don't. That's just the way that it is. So Jesus knew who he 
was, but he also knew where he was going. He knew where his life was headed, not just to the cross. I mean, he knew that, but he knew beyond the cross, his life was headed back to God. And just like Jesus knew where he was going, well, so do you if you're a believer. The problem is we live like we don't know where we're going. We live like we've never read the last chapter of our book. You may not know all the twists and turns in the chapters before you get to the last one, but friends, you already know the last one. You know you end up with God in heaven, happy forever. That's where your life is going. Jesus knew where he was from. He knew where he was going. And he knew what he could do. That's what it means that he knew the Father had given all things into his hands. That's a statement of his power and his authority. Later on in the night, he would tell the disciples and the crowd that came out to arrest him, listen, you guys do realize that if I wanted to ask Dad for about 12 legions of angels, they'd be here like that. You do realize I can do whatever I want to do. You realize that, right? Jesus knew that he could do anything. And when you know that you can do anything you want to do, and there is not a person who can say anything about it, Jesus rose from supper. Could have done anything, but he chose to rise from supper in verse 4, and he laid aside his outer garments, taking the towel, wrapped it around his waist. See, when you know who you are, when you know where your life is going, and when you know what you can do, you probably wouldn't do what Jesus did. See, Jesus, as the most powerful person, not just in the room, but on the planet, decided to rise from his comfort because they were reclining at the table. They were relaxing. They were eating. It was just some dudes hanging out, having a good time. He rose from his comfort and then he laid aside his outer garment. Now, here's the thing. Jesus had actually done that part before. See, when Jesus came from heaven to earth, the Bible tells us he laid aside his glory. So when Jesus took off his outer garment and he laid it aside, it was like laying aside his dignity. See, the disciples weren't there to see that first part, but this was a graphic illustration to them of Jesus laying aside his dignity and taking on the nature of a servant. You can imagine, you wear open-toe sandals, you walk on dirt roads everywhere that you go, your feet get dirty. It is just a thing, and it happens. And so it was not uncommon uh, for uh, people, especially if they were hosting you and they were people of means, to provide a servant for you to wash your feet. Because, you know, when you're dirty, you just can't relax right. You know, it's refreshing. You get clean and you can eat and all that stuff. And so it wouldn't have been uncommon if you had servants 
that you would provide not just a servant, but whoever was the lowest servant, because even servants had a pecking order. You'd provide the lowest of the low servant to wash people's feet if that's what they wanted you to do for them. If you didn't have any servants, but you had children, then whoever was the youngest child, any youngest child children here, okay? Whoever was the youngest child, as long as they were old enough to perform the task, they would have been the ones assigned to do this. If you did not have children, but you had wife, it would be the wife that you would offer to your guests to, to wash their feet if, if they wanted to. And all the women say, thank the Lord for the 21st century. Amen. So this was not just a servant's task. This was a task for the lowest of the low servants in the totem pole. And that is the position as the most powerful person on the planet that Jesus took. See, some of us want to serve, but we don't want to take off the outer garment. Oh, we want to serve, but we want to serve how we want to serve, where we can still keep our jacket on. Because if I have to serve like that, well, I can't, I can't wear this uh, for that. I got to take this off in order to do that. See, sometimes God has called us to serve in ways that, eh, maybe beneath our talent, maybe beneath our ability, and yet Jesus laid that aside. What is it that you need to lay aside so that you can serve how God has called you to serve? Jesus laid aside his dignity, he took a towel, he wrapped it around himself, and he began to wash the disciples' feet, and that was crazy. Nobody saw that coming. Now, I didn't take a survey, I don't know how to measure this, but it's just my sense of things that here in America, foot washing services maybe are not as common as they used to be, right? Now, it could just be that science has taught us more about foot fungus than we used to know. And maybe that's it. But it just doesn't seem like we do this as, as they used to do maybe in days gone by in the church. I remember when I was dorm pastor at Sagu, we used to take our RAs, our student leaders, on a, a retreat every August. And at this time, Scott Camp, and many of you are familiar with him, he was the dean of students at the time. And so in one of our services, Scott got out a water basin, a towel. He got down and he washed the dorm pastor's feet. And then we took a water basin and a towel and we washed our RA's feet. And can I just tell you that that was one of the most awkward moments ever. It was awkward. It was just weird. Um, it was uncomfortable. Um, you know, I wish I could say I had Pentecostal goosebumps. I did not. I just didn't have that same, you know, heart flutters. It just didn't do it for me, okay? Just wasn't feeling it. But here's the thing. It can be awkward and spirit-led. It can be uncomfortable and the will of God. 
And so sometimes we have to endure some of these awkward moments, and I'm sure that it was awkward for the disciples when they saw what Jesus is doing, and they're starting to put two and two together. Is he really doing this? Looking around at each other like, okay, maybe he's just going to do the first person, and then after that, you know, he's going to give us some object lesson. But then he went to the second person, the third person. The fourth person. And then by the time he got to Peter, Peter's in verse six. He's like, Lord, do you wash my feet? Like for real? Really? This is what you're trying to do? And Jesus answered him in verse seven. What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, nope. (laughs) You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if, you do, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Now, I know Peter gets a bad rap all the time, you know, and, but I kind of identify with what he's saying here because what he's actually doing is like this reverse humility thing where it probably feels to him like humility, but really it's something quite different. Remember John the Baptist said, there is one who's coming whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. That's probably an allusion to foot washing. John the Baptist is saying, listen, Jesus is so great. I'm not even worthy to take the position of the lowest of the low to wash his feet. Well, Peter basically here is saying, Lord, you're so high. I can't let you do this for me. I can't let you serve me in this way. This is too far beneath you for you to do this. It kind of sounds like humility, but what he's actually saying is, Master, it doesn't matter what you want to do. I think what you want to do is not the right thing. And that's not humility. That's arrogance. So Jesus told him, listen, I know you don't get it. I know it doesn't make sense now, but later on, you will get it, and it will make sense. And then Peter gets more emphatic. When he says never, that actually is like, it means like eternally no. Like, I will never let this happen under any circumstances. It's that emphatic. That's what he's saying to Jesus. And some of you, the truth is, you won't let people serve you. You won't let anybody do anything for you. You won't let anybody bless you, whether you need it or not. And this is Peter. So Jesus told him, listen, if I don't do this, you don't have any fellowship, any participation with me, any intimacy with me. To which Peter said, you should have just said that at first, bro. Like you could have just led with that and that would have been okay, because Jesus is basically saying here that that there's something going to be in our relationship that's going to be between us if I don't do this for you. So verse 9, Simon Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. So I love Peter because whatever Peter does, he's all in. Right? We washing now? That's what we're doing? Okay, let's wash. Let's get this thing on. All right? I'm, I'm all in. Let's do this. But what Jesus says is important to him because he says, well, you've already been bathed. You don't need to bathe again. I just need to wash this part of you. 
Later on, it would make more sense because in John chapter 15, verse 3, Jesus says, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Basically, because you believe my word, my word cleanses you. This is a picture of salvation. Jesus is saying, Peter, you, you already believe in my words. You already believe, you've already taken that bath. There is a washing of the word of God that comes upon our life when we put our faith and our hope and our trust in Jesus Christ alone. And Jesus is saying to Peter, listen, you, you've already taken that bath, bro. You don't need that again. But there's this part of you that as you walk along through life, it just keeps getting dirty. There's this part of you that as you're going through things, life just seems to stick to you. There's this part of you that sometimes steps in things it shouldn't. And it's that part that regularly you need to sit down and let me wash that off for you. Salvation, good. You already got that. This is a picture of holiness. See, when as a believer you make mistakes, you do things you have no business doing, well, you don't necessarily need to get saved all over again. What you need to do is sit down and allow the master to wash that part again, to clean you off again. Foot washing is a regular practice of holiness as we repent, as we allow the Lord to wash us clean from all the things that have stuck to us in this world, in this life. It's just, it's not about salvation. It's just about holiness, and holiness is an intimacy thing. That's why he says, if you don't let me do this, you don't have a share with me. You can't participate with me. There's going to be a problem with our intimacy if you don't let me, on a regular basis, wash that part of you that just keeps getting dirty all, all the time. you got to come sit in my presence and let me wash you all over again. It's not a salvation thing. It's a holiness thing. And so Jesus did this for them. And then verse 12 tells us, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now, I have had the privilege of teaching a few classes in my day, and I know what it's like to ask a question to the class, and you're met with dead air and blank stares. And I can imagine that when Jesus said, do you know what I have done for you? Crickets. <laughs> I'm sure nobody wanted to say anything because Peter's already made a fool of himself. Luke tells us they had already earlier been arguing uh, about who was the greatest, so they're probably feeling a little bit rebuked. Nobody wants to say anything at that moment. But Jesus told them, listen, I'm being an example to you right now. 
I've set you an example that you are to wash each other's feet, which does not mean that we need to institute the ordinance of foot washing in the church first Sunday, okay? Every first Sunday of the month, when you come in, the the ushers will be ready, the water basins. That's not what it means at all. In fact, there's really no indication that this was ever ceremonialized in the early church where they just did this as a ceremonial thing. The only real mention of it is 1 Timothy where Paul is giving instruction to Timothy about widows who are in need and he basically says, here's what their reputation needs to be. He lists off a few things and then one of those things that are a part of their reputation is that they need to be known for having washed the feet of the saints. That's 1 Timothy 5 verse 10. It's just a part of their reputation that they're known as people who have served. So this was always symbolic. Jesus was making himself the lowest of the low so that he could do what people needed him to do. Sometimes we only make ourselves the lowest of the low when we have no self-confidence. But Jesus knew who he was. He knew where he was from and he knew what he could do. And still he took on the nature of a servant And then he says in verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you just know them. Blessed are you if you just know these things. No, blessed are you if you do them. This word blessed, it actually means happy. It actually means to be like satisfied and and to be fulfilled There's something about this that's actually fulfilling in your own life. The problem is sometimes we suffer with this condition known as heart stink. This condition is actually most common among people who are alive. And its actual uh, best known symptom is that you have a frequent urge to act in your own self-interest. If you could put that graphic up there for me. There you go. If you've ever struggled with this, you know, you can actually call your God because there is a treatment. Talk to your God about the 3H pill. You know, humility, holiness, and happiness. Because in this passage, this is the pill that we get. There is a progression from Jesus humbling himself as an example to us. And then Jesus actually serving uh, the, the, the disciples, okay? So it is holiness, it is humility, it is holiness where he washes the disciples as that symbol of us being washed on a regular basis. And then if we can turn around and actually begin to practice it in our life, it leads to happiness. You can actually be more fulfilled in your life when you serve. The world says the way to be happy is to think about yourself all the time. Christ says the way to happiness, fulfillment, and satisfaction is to think about others. Well, I hope you feel encouraged to serve like Jesus served. And that's all we've got for you today. And I can't wait to hop back into Judges chapter 11 and 12 on our next episode of By the Verse.